Welcome to Lost Man Standing, the podcast where we explore spirituality, ecology, and sex through the lens of the sacred masculine. I am your host and guide, Bodhisattva of the Manosphere, having tasted the hallowed halls of Manhala and bringing back to you the sweet nectar of goodness that rightfully belongs to you. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the puns are so good. It's really hard not to be punny some days. I really enjoy it. How are you today? I am doing well myself, thanks for asking. It's good to be here with you, all you lovely listeners. No hate listeners among you, no people eagerly tracking me to see if I have said something dastardly or made some grievous mistake. No, no, your intentions are positive. You are a gem. You are a good person. And for that, I love you. I myself love you. <laughs> oh man, we have a really great show for you. I am so excited about it. Um, and you know what? I was just looking on our social media page. We are up. We hit an awesome mile marker just this week. 500 followers, 500 Rackham on Instagram. That is big stuff for us. 500 was a, a number that seemed unattainable. Next stop, 5 million. <laughs> uh, no, it was really cool, and I thank you for all your support. Thanks so much for sharing with your friends. You know, here's why it's important. I, I've been thinking about this. One of the reasons why I keep on telling you, hey, review, five-star review, rate this, get it out there, share it with your friends, like on social media, um, is because I remember when I was in the absolute dark night of my own soul. I mean, it was bleak. And, you know, relatively, not a ton of time ago. And I, I, I remember just feeling a sense of despair. And I turned on the podcasts. And you know what I found? I found I needed to turn them off. <laughs> and here's why. There was a lot of bro science. There was a lot of dummy's guide to masculinity. Follow these simple steps, color by the numbers. And I think that's good. Maybe that's good for a younger man. Maybe that's good for a man who um, who simply needs to follow the rules and to play it safe. But I think for men who have been through a disillusionment, men who have seen themselves in the mirror powerfully for who they are, they're not just needing another dummy's guide. They're not just needing another set of uh, rules and bylaws to follow. I don't just need another HOA, you know, the, the man HOA. No, instead, what I actually need uh, is something else entirely. And I was fortunate enough to tune in to really close friends. In some ways, I, 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 I surrounded myself with men who were showing up authentically who were sharing their shadow sides, who were taking risks by making themselves vulnerable to others. They weren't unhistoried beings. In other words, they were people who had been hurt. They were people who had hurt others. They were people who had struggled and were being 
honest about that. And what's more is they were men who were striving to improve themselves, to do better, to work harder, to show up in their families, to show up in their businesses, and to show up in their love life, as well as to themselves. And all of this combined into a level of authenticity that made me feel safe to share who I was. And there was also a great deal of laughter, a great deal of enjoyment. It wasn't drudgery. It wasn't a class. It was just candor and locker room talk among men who were experiencing extraordinary circumstances. That's what I was able to imbibe into myself as a part of my own recovery, as a part of my own exploration of my undealt with shadows. And I knew that if men were going to be reached with practical tools and practical skills, it would have to be in conjunction with, um, with these deep conversations set in really irreverent ways, right? Like having a conversation about the father wound, but in the locker room, <laughs> high-fiving with your guys. And so I hadn't heard anything like that on the Manosphere before. I hadn't heard men being that level of real, and I knew that I wanted to bring it. Thankfully, some of my friends agreed to, and you know, I haven't, I haven't done it perfectly. Uh, we're not doing it perfectly, but we are hopefully trying to bring you something that is not only unique, but is valuable, whether it's the 30-minute messages in which I'm drilling down over a decade worth of psychological and, um, and depth teaching um, into really short snippets that you can take away and discover your own sense of self and find out who you are as a man, or these long-form conversations that I'm getting a, to have with other men, manthropology. Um, I think that those are valuable things. And I want, when a man types in the search on iTunes, types in masculinity, I don't want it to go to one of the pro bros. I mean, they're great and all, don't get me wrong. Men who get paid to be men are fantastic. They have a lot on the line. Um, but I think sometimes it's important to not just have bro science, it's important to have science. It's important to have not only uh, interviews with men who know, but also men who are just living their lives. And I think that tension of both expert and deep democratic visions of the manosphere are important to bring. And I would love to be the source of that as men tune in to Last Man Standing. So Will you help do that? that? That's why it's so damn important. Will you help? Go over to iTunes, click the five-star rating, write a review, um, and then let me know that you did it. Migrate over to our Instagram account or uh, direct me, uh, email us off uh, the website. That would just mean so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you who have already done that. Um, I've been in dialogue with several of you this week, uh, got a chance to talk on the phone to a couple of you, man, you're really going through it. Real shit, fatherhood, business. Um, some of you have had amazing stories. Some of you have had traumatic and tragic stories. Um, and it's probably a mixture of both. I love that. Um, thanks for sharing these and entrusting me with these realities. The other thing that I want to talk about is I just released an article at evolvingwild.live uh, on the new 
performance trap. And this is so important for men to read. Now, I, I realize that this may get a bit of eye rolling for those of you who do want a step-by-step series of things that you can do to be a man. Bear with me here, because I think sometimes that's important. But I think far more important is authenticity. Now, I want to create unsafe spaces where you are able to be absolutely yourself, bring your absolute truth, and another man is able to share his total response to that, and you can receive it and hold it. Uh, And that's getting beyond the performance trap. I would love for you to read that article, love for you to dive into that and, uh, and explore that. If you have a men's group, that would be something really great to explore. If you don't, if you're a lone wolf out there, read it, uh, apply it as you can. Um, if you're interested in tribe, I, you know, I get a lot of comments from men who are saying, hey, I, I don't have a tribe. I want a tribe. Please connect me with a tribe. Um, and I'd be happy to help refer you to other men if I know of them in your area. That's something I can absolutely do. So go ahead and send me a note. A lot of great guys out there not only doing good work, but also bringing themselves to bear. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, other men are super cool. There's some funny things happening out there. Men are being their ridiculous, hilarious, goofy, cool selves, and I dig it. I dig it. Um, today on the podcast, pretty, pretty intimate and personal podcast with a great uh uh, just a just a great guest. This is the first guest I've had who isn't sitting directly across from me smoking a cigar. Uh, this is kind of new. Um, this is a remote phone call that I had with Sean, man on the ground, um, off of uh, social media. I got to know him there. And during the course of that time, I began to see that he was someone who was pushing in towards new ways of living, not just for him, but for all of us. This is a man with a past, he's a man with history, and he's a man coping with his own self, his own set of issues. And as he says at one point in time, learning to be a man, to cut away all of the extra, the childhood, the adolescent, to cut it away and be myself as I am. It reminded me of that that scene in uh, Game of Thrones where I don't remember who it is, but he's one of the keepers there on the wall, you know, old man, and he looks at Jon Snow and he says, kill the boy, Jon Snow, kill the boy. That's it. I think the older we get, the more we actually have to kill the boy inside, the more we have to grow up and become men. And Sean is doing that. I love hearing it. I love hearing uh, his responses and reflections from his own childhood, struggling with addiction, uh, taking some really interesting twists and turns in his life, exploring uh, sexuality, exploring uh, himself as an artist, exploring himself uh, as a young man, and then certainly hearing the discourse of where his life goes and where his life has been. He's a tremendously fascinating man, and I feel incredibly honored to have had him on. Now listen, this may bring up stuff for you. Uh, this may candidly challenge your perspectives. That's okay. That's good. It's good to be challenged. Unlike the offend me trigger uh, warning culture of our day, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tone it down for your sensibilities. I depend on you to be able to modulate and regulate your own sense of self. 
and I'm hoping you do that. Stay tuned. Listen to the whole thing. Here's Sean's pitch at the end. He's got some great things going on. Sean, thanks so much for coming on. And guys, I hope you enjoy this so much. Maybe you could tell me what you think is going on. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain. What do you feel? You felt it your entire life. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. This life's hard, man, but it's harder if you're stupid. I've been around, you know. There was a time I could see, and I have seen, but there isn't. Nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Today, I've got the style and profile like never before. To be the man, you got to beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, right here. I'm... Where did I find you? Shit. See, you should have told me that you were going to ask that question. <laughs> uh, wait for wait. the hard-hitting ones. I found... I, I found... I, Instagram? I saw you on Instagram. Okay, yeah. I was following somebody, and they... I don't know. I don't know. But I I, uh, I saw a lost man standing, and I saw you were posting uh, masculine images with words that made sense to me, and I clicked through your website and went, oh... Oh, burly shirtless men. <laughs> Click image here. This guy. It wasn't about the burly shirtless. It was more about the words, actually. The, the images were more the the images were more like, oh, that's that's interesting. You know, that's that's that drew that drew my attention. But then it was what you were saying, and then I listened to your first podcast and laughed half. <laughs> I just laughed through so much of it. I was going through, I remember clearly I turned on your podcast and then I walked into Vons with my headphones in and listening to your podcast, talking about your like hunched over <laughs> under a blanket with your wife's uh, something or other to, you know, my daughter's headphones, your daughter's <laughs> headphones falling apart. Uh. Yeah. And I'm walking through Vons grabbing stuff, just laughing my ass off like yes this guy gets it you launch early you launch ugly and you <laughs> figure it out as you go yes 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 you know what's so funny is that just tonight so i have upgraded headphones but right. just tonight my five-year-old son says to me on my way out here he says dad you're never gonna use my headphones for a podcast again i couldn't find them the last time you used them <laughs> Like, jeez, <laughs> so aggressive, man. You have to get my yeah. act together. Well, you got to take care of your kids' stuff. Yeah, I, I remember the first time you you kind of connected with me there on social media, and it was a really cool moment um, because you reached out directly. You just direct messaged me, and then um, as soon as you started talking, I knew that we had some some touch points. You know, like some common historical moments where, oh, you've done that. Oh, you've read that. That's really exciting to, to know that someone kind of shares those influences and then, and then even gets the humor. Because God, the manosphere is so unironic at times. <laughs> unironic, yeah. You know, like they take themselves really seriously. Really seriously, yeah. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> 
you know. Well, I know. I mean, I never laugh really, except on the podcast. It's a shtick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is for your ears only. <laughs> no, but then then we actually connected. Um, we ended up chatting and had some degree of call in and again, so exciting. And I always try and say this before I, the podcast, but I really do mean it that if people want to reach out, want to chat, want to share about their lives. I mean, I'm a manthropologist. I take that really seriously. So getting to interact with someone is pretty damn exciting. Yeah. And I just, I had the sense that you were open and that part of it was too, that you were just getting started. It's like, Oh wow, this guy's just getting started doing this thing. And, and, and it's exciting. You know, I, I work, I work in the online space. I, I help people, I help content creators and I'm a content creator myself. And, you know, so it, it, and it was exciting to me to hear somebody speaking to <laughs> Like you said, that space between the pro bros and the yoga mats. Right? <laughs> yeah. What can can I ask you? Because I'm so curious. Um, what does that mean to you? Oh, like when well, you think of that balance, it, it's 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 really you know. I mean, when you when you really boil it down, it's I mean it's derivative, right? Like like yeah. David Data, David Data started it with. That's uh, right. Yeah, of the third way, you know, the third, third. Between the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Was it, was it degrees though? It was like the first degree oh. man was, you know, sort of the, 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 the classic patriarch. First stage, stages. Yeah, the stages. There we go. First yeah. stage, second stage. First. Second stage is sort of the wet noodle, like, That's you know, right. we're all, we're all people. We're not, you know, there's no such thing. The man and women. The feminist man, the the man who has lost that sense. Yeah. And then there's then there's this third stage, this idea of, you know, there's there's um there's a middle ground somewhere between the man who sees and understands understands the world in a way that leads him to dominate or Mm -hmm. uh uh subjugate or conquer or Mm -hmm. all that there's there's a there's a middle ground between that and being a complete like you say wet noodle yeah and and how (laughs) that's this space sort of blends the best because as a as a as a man coming from this sort of historical context in which men do conquer and subjugate and and oppress and dominate and all of that coming from that it's it's imperative to be able to soften that's right so that a you can relate to the feminine the female counterparts with with whom we create family but you also have to be able to you have to be able to like you have to be able to defend and protect and and just acknowledge that the world is a dangerous place no matter no matter how safe we think we are right there's 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 always danger available (laughs) yeah you know i i really do think that people tend to think in such black or white terms that it's really one or the other right so you've got this whole movement of men who are all about rediscovering the warrior and i think that's just wonderful i really do and you know i i think a lot of them are recovering good guys um who 
maybe got shit all over or followed the rules or whatnot. And then you have this whole other side of people who are trying to, I think, um, live into either, I don't know if I would call it the magician or, or some other kind of energy that isn't necessarily the warrior, whatever it is. And I think it, it really is a balance that you got to have a hand in, in both pockets, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the magician, right? Because that's an archetype. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I love thinking in terms of archetypes. And, and I think that this, the space that you're, you know, you're really, you're really speaking, you're really speaking from, it's more about the, the king as, right. as, as an archetypal, like steward, steward, sir, you know, being of service, like the king is the, the king is the one that holds the entire thing together right that's right we live in a landscape where even just defining that perimeter can be seriously challenging just because just because women are liberated and can you know they can do their they can do whatever they want they don't they don't need us to protect them the way they did three generations ago don't you bring your king ass bullshit patriarchal (laughs) (laughs) right yeah exactly Fortunately, I, I don't know. I don't know what your marriage is like, but fortunately, I am married to a woman who totally gets it, and she's just she 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 gets it. She's like, yeah, get your king, do it. I I need you to do that, right? Yeah, like, it's acknowledged. Like you need to be that for me, for us. I got a four month old baby. You know, I'm I'm a new father. I have I and 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 I'm 45, so I don't know this shit. I don't know this this context this is yeah. new i've been sort of stepfathering an eight-year-old for, for since he was three so okay. there's there's that i've had some practice but man nah it get a gig new game <laughs> Four, 45 years old just becoming a father you're a, uh, you're a stepfather uh what the hell have you been doing with your life <laughs> up to this point no i mean i so it's, it's funny because right before right before you hit the button, we were talking about we were talking about my experience growing up and being being grounded from the time I think I was pretty much grounded from the time I turned twelve until I left home at sixteen. No, no, you don't. You don't mean like mentally centered, do you? You actually mean no, 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 not <laughs> mentally centered. In fact, I was depressed. I was I was into punk, and you know. Oh, like you know i started smoking pot and getting just escaping and and i was just i was a morose chubby uh, you know unhappy mm-hmm. teenager mm-hmm. Uh, and, but i was grounded because you know my parents i'm the oldest of six my parents left me with my siblings and my job was to babysit them and oh, wow. they were paying me a dollar an hour but i never saw well, any of that money. paid though no no i never saw any of that money because i was always racking up debt doing uh, some kind of stupid shit <laughs> like making a key to their van their toyota van and going out for joy rides when i'm supposed to be babysitting <laughs> having my friends come over while i was supposed to be babysitting and getting a 12 pack of beer and getting hammered and, you know stupid stupid stuff but but that experience of being grounded that punishment i I, when I left home, I, I started, I embarked on a journey of being as ungrounded as I could possibly be. Mm. I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. I just thought I was adventuring. I, I thought I was setting myself free. You 
know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I could I could tell my whole life story, but basically, I I went to college, went to college for music, and uh, spent a decade as a as a musician trying to do the music thing and become an artist in the music world, and um, traveled around being a nomad. I mean, where there's so much, where, <laughs> yeah. What well, am I, I doing, been doing in my life? There's so much, so many things. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting to hear you say that part of your, your growing up, this sense of, of stuckness, which, you know, our parents ground us. We're, we're little prisoners. We're inmates in that experience. But I think it's interesting that your response to that into adulthood is to become as nomadic as possible. I love how aware that is because yeah, just looking a little bit at your life story and knowing what I do at this point, which isn't that much, but is enough to know you bounced around a lot. Like you made up for, for lost time. I did. I did. I had a distinct experience when I was, when I was 14, 15, that was when I really just kind of sunk into a sense of feeling defeated i grew up in a small town um the mm. oldest six i was mormon when i was when i was little and so got a lot of that you know from the time i was five till the time i was 13 got a lot of sexual guilt and guilt, oh, yeah, guilt yeah. in general right like just a lot of a lot of that and so by the time i was 15 i was sitting on the curb looking across the field to the mountains in the distance and watching the cars go back and forth on my very busy street, just waiting for somebody to stop and get me the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and Did to someone... have that, and that was my, and that was my, that was my, that was my f- sort of foundational formation, right? Right. I hadn't, I couldn't go any further in that environment mm-hmm. because. I, I just I just lost it. Like there's there's I can't get out of here on my on my own. Like that was mm-hmm. that was that experience. I can't because I'm I'm disempowered financially. I'm uh, I I haven't I haven't had any kind of a kind of success with women and socially. You know the the kids in my school hate me and you know whatever. So I was just I was. <laughs> I was done. Yeah. I wasn't suicidal as a teenager. I just wanted somebody to take me out of there. <laughs> You're like, I wasn't suicidal as a teenager, but going back, I probably would be now that I know what, what a loser I was. Well, you know, it's so funny. I feel the same looking back on, on you know, my childhood. I, I'm just amazed uh, that I wasn't actually suicidal or or like, you know, today I think a lot of people turn to – to hurting others or doing those kind of things. And I'm like, shit, man, I was a prime candidate for that. Yeah. It's crazy what we put kids through and it's crazy that they make it out actually. Okay. In the end. Yeah. Well, and I, and I've, I've, you know, I mean, it's, there's, there's such a long journey, you know, between being a 15 year old depressed Calgon, take me away kind of experience to being a 45 year old husband wa- uh, father a homesteader householder you know yeah. like really grounded because mm-hmm. in the last in the last three years in the last three years i've made a conscious choice to mm-hmm. put myself on the ground to, to, to put, put your stake in the ground. ground yeah exactly put my stake in the ground and 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 own it and steward this woman 
and mm. her son and this quarter acre piece of land, right? Like, yeah, sure. There's all this. There's all this ambition, right? There's all this. Ah, I could be a traveling. I did. I I was a traveling musician. I was a troubadour. Mm. I traveled. I traveled around. I lived in a. I lived in a. a 1983 Chevy G30 box truck for two and a half years. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Just traveling. I mostly lived in and around Austin, Texas, which is a great place to be an urban nomad. A troubadour. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a place. It's perfect. And then, and then once I got tired, I got completely burnt out of doing gigs the way that the music industry is set up. It's set up that you, you get your start and you pay your dues and you do all that grind in these dingy places where the the product is really alcohol like that's really right. the product that's being sold there and and the escape from reality and that's just the beginning of a whole world of just nasty corrupt human like it's also what you're getting paid in too right like sometimes you're getting paid in alcohol and that's it right yeah no i i didn't do i didn't do much of that because i i i i was able to actually hustle a lot of gigs that were that were pretty decent you know playing oh, that's at, cool like playing poolside at hotels or um you know uh, let's see uh, thai restaurants and uh, a thai people. restaurant yeah, thai. oh man, that place was awesome. We'd play for three hours, and the owner would just ply us with like world class sushi. Oh and my sake. god! And, <laughs> and they paid us, you know, they paid us 150 bucks each. And, and you got tired of that? <laughs> yes, I actually did. You know why? Because that that was actually one of the better ones, but mm. it it exists inside of a context where. For the most part, as a musician, original, original, relevant music that resonates with people's circumstance and their 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 place in life and yeah. what they believe in and who they know and all that music that doesn't have any context. That that's that's what you're doing. Is you're is you're you're just kind of part of the sonic atmosphere you know and it's like, mm. it's like it's just another thing that people consume right you get, yeah oh yeah we went to we went to the sushi place and you know there was a band there and they played you know they played willie nelson songs and <laughs> right like that right and it's it, it's so crushing it was so crushing for me i got i got so sick of it because i wasn't i wasn't experiencing that people were really connecting with me the way that I was connecting with them. Yeah. As I'm playing. And that's, that's painful. It's not, it's not, it's not sustainable. You can't keep it up because, yeah, like, because, because as a musician, I'm putting out so much and I'm so present and I'm so, so desiring a conversation. And what does a conversation look like with a musician? It looks like people singing with them. It looks uh, like yeah. people moving. It looks like people being a part of the thing and picking up their their glass at their table and going ding 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 ding, ding right, <laughs> joining in because music is a language that does not it doesn't fit inside of social norms. Yeah. It doesn't. It's it's completely it's above and beyond and through and all of that. Right. It's a primal human language that every human being on the planet understands on some level. 
and we we have we live in an environment where music is not honored in that way no not at all it's a commodity that musicians these people who have been designated as people who can play music musicians and then there's everyone else when the reality is it's it's the thing that musicians create you know to whatever to whatever degree as a tortured isolated Mm -hmm. little cell of creativity doing their thing to to you know i mean there are some some that i respect like michael franti and nako are are people that i Mm -hmm. look at and i go those guys are doing it right because they're building community they're actually like doing music that resonates with their people it gets their people connected it gets their people singing it gets their people like thinking about stuff they're doing it right but for the most part hearing you talk about your experience with music actually reminds me a lot of of having been a therapist uh because (laughs) because you know i mean there's kind of this ongoing saying in in supervisions with other therapists or dialoguing with them where well you don't work harder than your client um but but the deal is that's actually not what happens at all what happens at all is you have a lot of very emotionally intelligent therapists who are working very very hard to bridge a gap to make a connection they're they're thinking of patterns they're they're dialoguing they're connecting the dots they're they're doing all of this shit for their client and and really their client doesn't see them as a person at all they're just a cardboard cutout of a of a figure right there they could be right. anyone they can listen to them do their story like <laughs> right mur, 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 mur. yeah and it becomes <laughs> incredibly demoralizing and honestly i think for me you know i look back and i i thought at the time that i was handling it just right i was compartmentalizing it very very well but i think over time it wasn't right like all that stuff was feeding my own unconscious shadow and and driving me crazy as well so i get what you're saying i think a lot of people do when we put them in these professionalized roles that are are distinguished and detached from from the people we're trying to connect with yep yeah and in music it's 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 about entertainment you know, I, I I used to bristle when people I would walk into a place. Oh, you're gonna entertain us tonight, and and I I you know part of the reason that I didn't do very well, I didn't go very far in that world, is because I was straight with people. Nope, not gonna entertain you. <laughs> I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to connect. I'm here to engage. I'm here to invite you into the party. I'm here to you know all of that stuff. Like I'm here, I'm here to invite you to sing. I'm here to, and, and even, even perhaps, especially if it's uncomfortable, like fuck you in your little box that you walked in this door with, like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hop out of that thing. And, and, you know, and I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm like, we were talking about the Enneagram earlier and, and, and how I'm, I'm sort of, I've, I've dabbled in it and have identified a lot of eight traits. Yeah. And, and that's, and that I brought that, I brought that to the music world and people don't like to hear that from musicians. They don't want to be challenged by music. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people like being challenged at all. My, my buddy, um, <laughs> Nick, right. who was on here, Nick's a really great guy and, and he, he's also an Enneagram 8, but he was a, a car salesman for a lot of years. And I was asking him the other day, I was like, yeah, what would that be like? Sometimes I thought about being a car salesman. That always sounded like it could be fun, you know? And he's like, oh, you'd suck at it. And I was like, why would I suck at it? I'm, I'm so personable and witty and charming. He's like, no, you say it like it is. Gladly. <laughs> exactly. 
you have to suffer fools gladly and smile at them and make them think that they're that you 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 want the best for them oh man i hate that shit (laughs) (laughs) amen So I have a question for you. You know, you bounced around locationally. It sounds like you were a, a musician through a lot of it. What about what about relationships? You know, right now you're super grounded, uh, to use your word. You're super, you're homesteading. You're committed to this one woman, this family. What was it like before then? Were you, were you also doing that kind of bounce around thing or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, what's, what's, What's funny about me, so I, I was, I was, I was one of those, I was one of those kids that was like four or five, five, six, you know, starting in kindergarten. I remember I had my first girlfriend in kindergarten. Nice. She wasn't actually like, she wasn't actually my girlfriend, but we played house and doctor in the thing in the, at school, you know. In the little, too far, too far. The little, the little play thing. No, it wasn't too far. <laughs> it, was far. it was totally innocent and sweet and whatever and. And um, I never, I never got busted for any of that stuff. I, I remember I had one girlfriend too. I, I don't know. I, must, I think I was about six, and I used to go to this one lady's. Um, uh, she used to babysit me, and and this girl would be there. Yeah. And, and I, we used to make out. Like we'd go to at bedtime. We were we slept in the same room, and we would make out. And and I remember it being so so sweet. And it was just, it was just like, we were just little bodies just being mm-hmm. in relationship with one another, right? Like just completely, yeah. completely loving this experience of being mashed up against each other, right? Yeah. So it's all new. So that was, that was super innocent. And then, you know, like Mormon, Mormon, uh, Mormon, Mormon sexual trauma guilt stuff is pretty intense. Yeah, I don't know anything. I don't know anything about the 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 Mormon subculture as far as I grew up Christian evangelical. It may be the same subculture, but because I certainly know my own share of guilt complexes around that. So was that really heavily emphasized in that environment, or what? Not, not at that not at that point. Not until I was you know eleven and twelve. That that's when the that's when the what are they called? They're called the confirmation interview or something oh like that. Where the bishop calls you in and asks you questions like, "Do you masturbate?" <sighs> you gotta ask that. Your twelve-year-old brain is like, um, or eleven-year-old brain is like, "Oh fuck, I either have to lie <laughs> or tell him the truth, and either way, I'm fucked." Right? Like, I can't believe he asked you that, dude. Dude, there's actually a campaign. There's a campaign against these these sort of interviews because they do them with all of their kids. Dude, I had a very, I mean, it, it's slightly similar. Maybe everybody has this, but I was, it was, so we were getting ready to move. I was eight or nine and we were getting ready to move because my dad, we moved every three years. And so we were accumulating all these boxes in the garage and I loved to build forts and I invited my, my little friend over and, uh, and he and I were hanging out and I honestly, I didn't have very many friends. My siblings were 10 years older than me. I didn't really get to hang out with kids my own age that much. I wasn't very popular or anything like that. So here I am with this friend and I'm so curious about the human body and we turn off the lights in the garage and we're surrounded by these boxes and all I really remember is what was going to happen. 
what was going to happen was we were going to play doctor. We weren't there yet, but, but that was in my mind. I knew that that was about to happen. All of a sudden, my mom, who's five foot one and like all of a hundred pounds, she throws open the garage door and I see her little shape silhouetted by the light of the garage door. And she stands there right now. I mean, just, just gives this belt yell. It was like, she knew, she knew. I, I totally ran away crying. I hadn't even done anything. Oh, so scarred. Oh, damn. Oh, my gosh. Oh, shit. It's so funny, right? Because you asked me about relationships and we dive into these like early experiences. <laughs> you must be a therapist. Wow. Look at that. Well, my God, but that, that shit messes you up, you know? I mean, that's, that's how it works. Okay. So, so getting beyond the masturbatorium, uh, yeah, like, yeah. where did it go yeah. from there? I mean, you bounced so around. I, I was, you know, I was, like I said, I was a kind of a depressed, chunky, you know, I started, I started gaining weight when I was 10, I think. And mm. uh, so, so I was, and I was, and I wasn't, I liked athletics. I liked playing baseball. I was pretty good at it and, you know, whatever, but I didn't, I was, I, I liked eating more. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it can be solace sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was, it was, it was my friend for many, many, many years. Um, and so I was not, I was not quote unquote successful with girls in high school. I had one, one major mega crush my entire freshman year. Oh, she, what was she like? She didn't want to have, she, she was like, oh, but I love you too. But as a friend, you're such Shit. a good friend. I can't, you know, and she's, she's going out with these skater dudes who are like treating her like trash and talking trash and, you know, oh. So it was, it was that classic situation. And then in my early twenties, I had a series of, series of relationships that were, they weren't even relationships. They were one night stands and, uh, and kind of fuck buddy friends with benefits. Although nobody called yeah. them in the nineties, but yeah, nobody said fuck in the nineties. I, <laughs> 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 at least not to me. I did. Oh, all right. <laughs> but I, 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 I had, I, I mean, I was 20, let's see, 20, I, uh, let's see, uh, back up, I guess, went to San Francisco and met my first girlfriend and we moved in together in San Francisco and I was with her, I guess a year and a half or something like that. And we moved wow. in together and then she, she left cause I was unemployed and basically in loserville and she she hooked up with the bartender at her work and that was it she was she was mm. so that's actually a pretty big step how old were you when you moved in with her i moved in with her when i was let's see did i turn eight? i did i turned 18 with her oh so wow a couple months before a couple months before i turned 18 we moved into a we moved into an apartment in downtown San Francisco Civic Center. And That's badass. It was pretty wild. First time I ever heard gunshots and saw blood on the sidewalk. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no wonder you were unemployed. You were just hiding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was also smoking a lot of weed. So, you know, mm. I picked that up at I picked that up at fourteen, and that was, you know, food and food and drugs were my my ticket out of the out of the discomfort of of my body and my you know everything that everything that i accumulated in those 15 years of of growing up with very 
parents parents who inherited a lot of trauma from their parents who inherited a lot of trauma from their parents who <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like sometimes when I talk about my parents or when I hear other people talk about their parents, and, and I think if I'm a parent listening to that, I, I would feel like, oh, I'm getting blamed for shit. But I think the most charitable thing in this case is, my God, we're just, it's, it's like this karma snowball. It just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. I don't think anybody's really making choices so much as we're just downloading and we're like Xerox copies of whatever trauma we inherited, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And when and when they were, you know, when they were starting out as a as a young married couple having kids, I was born in 1973. That was that was just in the beginning of the whole est thing and oh, like yeah. sort of these sort of massive self awareness movements. Yeah, these self awareness. Exactly. These technologies that, that have people go, oh, maybe things aren't ex- maybe things aren't the way i think that they are maybe they're they're different right like maybe there's something to question here and i'm fascinated by est by the way we should talk about that sometime est is like one of the most fascinating little uh, microcosms that i've seen yeah yeah there's a you know i i did a i did the landmark forum back in uh what was it 2003 yeah 2003 Oh, they're like the direct descendant of Est, right? Is that kind yeah. of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're and their tools, you know, their tools, their tools helped me cut through the fog of shit, right? Like, like there's 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 uh these these sort of transformational technology communities get a bad rap because people call it brainwashing and people call it this and they call it that and the people who come out of the form are pushy with their sales techniques and all that kind of stuff, and yeah, that's that's it's a mess it's a it's a fucking mess you know why it's a mess because human beings are a mess yeah and 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 that is the first opportunity that people kind of get to go holy shit i'm a mess how fucking cool is that that i know that i'm a mess oh my god this is so cool i'm sorry for being a mess on you check this out this is really fucking cool right so people get they they get they get sort of starting to self get self-aware and then it becomes you know it's That's like because right. part of what they're teaching people to do is to get grounded in that mm. and then share it with the people in your life so that they can also be grounded in that self-awareness so you can begin to have conversations about the automatics right like yeah. it's the whole training is all about interrupting the automatic ways of being that we develop as kids trying to fucking survive hostile a hostile environment mm-hmm. because for you know to whatever degree i don't know anybody who grew up in an environment that was super supportive and loving and you know really well contained i don't my know my wife it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I, 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 I love her, envy her for it, but <laughs> Yeah, I know that there are people who do who do, but that wasn't my experience. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so it's a it's a you know, these technologies are great because it's an it's an interrupt and it gives people tools to start being able to think critically even about their behavior their their assumptions their beliefs their you know everything that's that's automatic that may have worked in the past and doesn't work now or may have 
never worked and they've mm. just sort of been in this chronic state of <laughs> fucking things up for themselves without even realizing that that's yeah you know so you know i like that stuff and i i recommend it to people on a one-on-one basis but you know not everybody needs it and and yeah. you know i i i've taken what i've needed and left the rest with so it sounds like you were you were you know certainly coming out of your adolescence there was a healthy degree of sedate and escape that was going on yeah um but at some point, you also moved on to want to discover these places in yourself. When did you first become aware that you wanted to uncover and unpack some of your own unconsciousness, really? You know, it's really funny because um, before we talked, you asked if there was anywhere that I didn't want to go, you know. And Oops. <laughs> first, no, it's, that's perfect. I mean, I'm going there willingly because the, 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 um, the, my first response to that question was to like find a find a barrier but i think you know i'm interested in being a voice for something yeah right I'm interested in being a voice for the masculine and my experience all of it is valuable in that context that's right so so where it really began for me was at age 22 um first girlfriend had had moved out a couple of months before my 21st birthday that's when i was on my own for for the first time and i was depressed i was mm. i was depressed and i was like oh shit i got to get my shit together i got a job at denny's and you know started started a long illustrious career in food service nice <laughs> actually my very first job was mcdonald's so it started in me too <laughs> <laughs> I learned one very important lesson at McDonald's that I've that I cherish and value to this day. What was it? Clean as you go. Oh God, that yes. Principle, that principle, whether you're talking about your kitchen or your garage, your tinker space, your, you know, whatever it is that you're up to, if you clean up as you go, you never accumulate clutter. Thank you, Ray Kroc. Thank you, Ray Kroc. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, uh, so I I had a good I don't know year and a half or so, and I started I started I, went, I started going to college. I was in Long Beach at the time. I started to go to college and just taking art classes and general education credits. I wanted to like explore the creative stuff that I wanted to do, uh, and I also wanted to start taking care of college credits. Mm. So. So I, I enroll in college, I get a job and I'm, I'm just kind of starting to enjoy, oh, being on my own is actually pretty cool. And this is, this was when I started having these one night stands with chicks that I'd meet over, over a, a BBS. Remember the BBS? Oh yeah. Taking <laughs> uh, it way back. Some one, some one night stands that were just weird. And then, uh, a relationship with a, a girl who was crazy she was just she was just crazy and god bless her but she was crazy and i was crazy too because i met her when she was eight months pregnant oh well yeah <laughs> <laughs> there was a but, mutual craziness that might have been it, it was it was and 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 you know after three months of that or so i was like okay now nah, we're done mm -hmm. we're, just put, we're just gonna put women over there for a while and just, yeah, just, you just stay over there. 
and somewhere in this uh somewhere in this i, I met a guy in um a, at school who was a uh he was a musician as well he was he was i i, I had moved from radio broadcasting into the music department because i was clear that radio radio was cool but it was really music that i was after yeah and and I and I did an event with this guy, who uh, you know we just connected. Our musical tastes were similar, and we connected and started jamming. And we created an event. And I met a man at this event who showed up in my life over the succeeding weeks as a as an older man who was he was he was, he was uh, let's see. What do I want to say? He was he was attracted to me. He was an out gay man. Okay. And he, yeah. he was attracted to me. And over the course of the next two and a half years or two years, he and I had a relationship. And in that relationship, I discovered what it felt like to be loved completely, mm-hmm. cherished, unconditionally. Like like it was it was a, it was so healing in all of that and in the in in the process i was i mean there's so much i I could go super deep into what it was that actually happened but i don't really want to get that but but the the over the course of that two years i shifted from not having hope and really just feeling like I was just a piece of shit that wasn't ever really going to go anywhere to somebody who, like I saw, oh, I can actually go to music school. I can actually, I can actually create a life for myself. So this, this was the beginning. And, and so this was the beginning of, of my seeing that I was worth something that I was that I was capable of loving and being loved it wasn't even loving I couldn't I couldn't really love because I could I just I had to learn to receive it yeah. I had to learn to actually like oh there isn't some hidden agenda here he's not gonna I mean this was like a theme in our relationship you know I love you yeah right what are you up to right like when does the when does the whack come I can imagine I can imagine for someone who grew up in in the subculture that you did and in small town USA and um that you might have had a lot of hang-ups getting to that point had had you ever thought of yourself as uh, as attracted to men before or had you nope. ever no nope. and and I'm not to this day it was just him wow. <laughs> yeah so it you, was just him. you don't and, identify and I, as that he, he, oh no 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 no, okay. No, I don't. Um, I'm very, I'm very much into women. What do you but do that, with that experience? Out of curiosity. That, well, it's funny because this is the first time I've never talked. I've only talked talked to it about talked to about it with a few people, but and this is this is you know I'm giving this to you to put on the internet like this to is, the millions. This is, <laughs> this is radical, right? Like this is a sure. this is a this is a breakthrough because. What I've done with it in the past is I've just kind of kept it hidden, right? Like this is, sure. this is something in my past. You know, so, it, it's so, so fascinating. What with yeah. it, so what I do with it is I honor, I honor that as the turning point in my life where I began to become oriented to reality in That's a way so that I 
that I never had. That opened me up because it taught me like, this is what masculine love looks like. Mm. This is what masculine love does. It, 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 it showers over and it embraces and it nourishes and it holds, right? Like, like this man was able to hold me as a 22 year old, scared, scared, damaged, fucking just fucked up young man. He was able to hold me in a container and show me that it's okay. It's okay. I love you. It's okay. It sounds like it was really empowering. Dude, completely. Yeah. It's because, it's because of that. It was actually because of that relationship that I started go, uh, that I started taking music classes and stopped messing mm. on radio. That I, I went in that direction, and it was wow. because of that relationship that I then moved three thousand miles away from California to go to Berklee College of Music in Boston mm. because that was a that was music school, and that was the music school that you went to if you want to be tapped into the global music industry. If you want to, you know, if you want to go to L.A., New York, Nashville, or any of the hot spots that's the place to go because that's where all the professionals end up teaching. Yeah. And that's where all the, that's where all the industry vets go to teach. So, and it's not the only one, but that was the only one that I, that I knew of. I went to Cal, I went to a audition at Cal arts in um, up in the Valley somewhere. And, you know, their program was cool. They're doing like avant-garde music and all that kind of stuff. But I thought, you know, no, I really want to reach people. I think what's so interesting about even just this this element of your story is it sounds like you've always been someone who was open to the possibilities of life. And it actually kind of reminds me of a little bit of James Dean, who uh, the, the movie star who was asked at one point in time, I'm not sure if this was on the record or off, but he was asked if he was, if he was, either gay or bisexual. And he, he said, why go through life with one hand tied behind your back? Um, and I love that that's not an answer about sexuality. He's just talking about, I'm, I'm going through life radically open to what presents itself. And I think today in our identity culture, where, where politics and definitions and structures are the way we approach everything, people clamor to be a part of an in-group. You know, I'm this, I'm that, you're this, you're that. Yeah. Well, and it, and it was, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was so, so weirdly organic, mm -hmm. right? Because I, I met him through, uh, through my teacher at the time. I, I, cause I was, I was going to college doing these art classes and doing some cool stuff. I mean, one of my art classes was awesome. It was, uh, it was a, Oh, what did she call it? it was like shamanic painting or something like that? Shamanic painting. The idea, the idea was like what we did in the class was we wrote down our, we kept a dream journal and then we twice a week we'd go in and we'd make pastel, big pastel color things of our dreams, right? Like, it was oh wow, awesome. And and the, and it was so exploratory and so, you know, like whoa, this is a this is a direct exploration of the subconscious through these images and mm. uh, what does it all mean and all that kind of stuff so that led me to doing these shamanic medicine wheel classes with this this teacher of mine and and this man was actually her lover for you know 10 mm. years or something like that they were together for 10 years and then one day he was just like all right <laughs> they were they both woke up in the morning and went okay this is this is done wow but we're still friends and i still love you and whatever 
so it was really organic because I was studying this stuff and I was already, you know, was already kind of in the mystical soup. And then mm-hmm. he comes along and he's, he's speaking spirit and, you know, it's like this, he, he was like a physical manifestation of spiritual movement, right? Like mm-hmm. he was like, like life is a spiritual journey and we have these physical bodies. It was to that point in my life, it was the most real thing I had ever experienced. Mm. It got me into my body and out of this sort of disembodied, dissociated state of, of checking out. Again, going back, it opens you up to these possibilities. You, you begin to experience the world anew. You're empowered to kind of move beyond some of these childhood places. You, you referenced spirituality just then. And I was so curious, you know, you grew up in this very religious environment. Where was spirituality lurking for you during this time? And how did you begin to encounter it again? Well, like I said, I was doing these shamanic medicine wheels and that was all you know, it was, it was white people's, uh, it was white people's version <laughs> of Native American stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, you know, it was, it was useful in, in creating sort of this awareness of an archetypal realm of human understanding and consciousness. Mm. Like, so, so, you know, and, and the whole concept of spirituality is an interesting one because it's, it's hard to it's hard to speak it's hard to speak to it without venturing into one of the 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 keyholes you know or yeah. one of the, the traps um at that time at that time it was you know it was mostly inside of a sort of a new age context mm-hmm. um you know he was a recovering alcoholic he'd been sober 11 years or 13 years at that point and um, you know, so he was very rooted in this notion of a God of my understanding, right? And, and mm-hmm. he was very, like he would, the way that he would speak was about God and, you know, like this is, this is good. Everything is, it's all good, right? Mm-hmm. Like his, his, the, his fundamental position on everything was, this is so good. Wow. This is so good. This is so good. This is so good. This is so good. And there's so much good, more good happening, more good mm-hmm. coming, right? Like, um, so, so that was, that was really, you know, that was really a pivotal, a pivotal time in my, in my development. Did that, and, did that sense of spirit connection or connection to that sense of goodness, did that continue with you or? Yeah, to a degree. Okay. Um, you know, cause I left, when I left him, you know, he was, he's, he's identifies as a gay man, right? For, so okay. For, yeah. So for him, my leaving was a a breakup right like it was a it was the end of a of a relationship for me it was just like okay my you know this thing is done and i'm now i'm going to school right (laughs) and and as i as i took off and and went to went to boston and started studying music full-time still inside of a i don't want to have anything to do with women kind of context and get Mm. everywhere and i just want to touch and grab (laughs) um it was i don't i don't know that it, it didn't it planted a it planted a, a long growing seed that has sort of sprouted and grown and become more of who i am today mm. but, but immediately not so much i mean i went to boston and i was 
I was, I was shifted for sure, but I still struggled with low self-esteem and uh, weight issues halfway through my, halfway through my school experience in Boston, I realized that I had a compulsive eating problem. Mm. I, I was binge eating like to, to, to the point of being on the floor, stomach completely stuffed, couldn't take another bite, just bawling my eyes out, hating myself because I couldn't stop gorging myself. It was the only comfort that I had. And it was, it was torture. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was torturing myself to comfort myself. You know? It sounds like torture. Yeah. Oh my God. It was terrible. So I, I went to, uh, I, I started going to 12 step meetings for food addiction and oh wow, got a sponsor and got, uh, started weighing and measuring my meals. And how know, hard was that first meeting to go to? It was definitely a, it wasn't actually that hard to do my life to see, this is, this is one, one of the things that I'm re, that I really appreciate about sort of my wiring is that when I'm done and I'm ready, I don't, I just do it. Right. I, there is no, there is no hesitation. Once I've realized that it, this is the direction that I need to go. It was like when I got married, you know, I spent two decades going, fuck that. I'll never get married. That's not what it did to my dad. And uh, no, thanks. No kids. I, uh, footloose, fancy free. But when it came time for me to claim my wife in that way, I was just mm -hmm. like, there it is. This is it. I want to interrupt you just then because you said something, you, you said something instinctively. That I love you said what I appreciate about me. And I don't think that was egotistical. I don't, what I think that was, was self-aware. And I, I love when a man That's or when a, a, a person, <laughs> you know, when a person comes to this kind of place where they're able to go, hey, I, I know my deficits. I know my shortcomings. Uh, I also know the places where I'm strong. And this is one of them. And I like those. <laughs> yeah. I think that's yeah. so valuable. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, and it's, thanks. I appreciate that. And, and, and it's, it, it goes even deeper than just being ready. It's also that I'm, I'm somebody who's, who's more often than not willing to go straight into what it is that scares me the most. Mm, to face so, that down. Um, studied, I studied every aspect of, professional musicianship there mm. for four years performance songwriting composition music business music education how to be a how to be a musical theater you know uh, uh player you know samples whatever like all the ways to to make money as a musician all the ways to participate in the culture as a musician and mm. and also began to began to handle the parts of my psychology that were out of control that were mm. not that were not aligned with what it is that I want and my sponsor in the 12 step program turned me on to he, he invited me to a men's meeting hmm. what he uh he's because I was living I was living in Everett Massachusetts I was living in in a in a in a, a house for men and I had like a little dorm room and and this house had I don't know twelve or fifteen dorm rooms, and then attached to the house, this used to be an old YMCA back in the early part of the twentieth century, and it, it attached so attached to the, the the dormitory house was a gym. There was a basketball court, and then a raised track, 
that went around. So it was like a like a walking track, but it was also it was also um, slanted like that. So you could even you could ostensibly take a bike up there and do like laps around this. Oh wow! So he invited me one morning. He asked me. Uh, he's like, "Hey, you want to come to a men's meeting? <laughs> What's a men's meeting? Yeah, what are we gonna meet about? <laughs> <laughs> exactly." Yeah, he's like, yeah, just just show up at blah blah blah. It's at your house. So they had this meeting at the house that I was living in. I walk downstairs at the at the point in time and walk into this room, and there's sixty men in this room, like all oh, just really just just fucking on fire and like standing tall and talking to each other with enthusiasm and giving each other hugs and wrestling <laughs> and you know throwing basketballs around and there's this there's one group there's this one group in the corner of men who are passing shoes from one man to the next like doing a little <laughs> doing a little circle and i'm like what happened over there and there's like uh and my sponsor goes yeah those are the men that didn't read the instructions and they're not wearing athletic shoes so that's <laughs> they're not not reading the instructions and coming prepared for the night's activities so, so I was, I was immediately just completely, completely in whatever these, whatever these dudes were doing, I wanted part of it. Because did, did they have an agenda or what was, what was the so, cohesion? So the, the, the cohesion is that these were all graduates of, uh, of another weekend tech transformational technology, the Sterling men's weekend. Okay. And, and and I won't I won't get into any of the details about it in any of that, but it's sworn to secrecy. It's it's a it's a it's an initiatory weekend. Okay, yeah. It's a, it is a weekend designed to fill the void uh, in which our culture, in which men, particularly of middle class socioeconomic status, do, and and lower class, mostly white most mostly white there were a few different ethnicities mm -hmm. but mostly white men blue collar um mostly yeah most mostly white blue collar men who but there were also there was also a range see it's so funny because there's a range right but i'm trying to like sort of pin back pinpoint the demographic as if it matters it doesn't really matter because the thing was designed to create to to be an initiatory experience for men who live in a culture in which these kinds of experiences do not exist we're totally void of them yeah, yeah. completely void of them so the the agenda was to introduce like like i was i was a newbie i was an uh i was being introduced to this concept of going and doing this thing mm. And and I was I was in. I didn't even know that that was their agenda. But the fact that there were sixty men in this room, all looking like fully embodied and mm. really like engaging with one another, eye contact, having having conversations, and then you know I don't even remember the activities that we had that night. But the entire night was just so there was an energy in that room that I wanted to be a part of. Mm. And so I, I decided to do that men's weekend that night. I just like, yeah, let's go. I'm in. Let's do it. And then I spent the next three years in, in and around the Boston, New Hampshire, Maine, all over New England, meeting with men's groups once or twice a week around fires and 
bringing my life there and getting hard feedback and, you know, getting put in my place. Like I was, I learned there that I'm a arrogant, cocky motherfucker who can, who what? Given, given the, given, given the right, given the right um, purpose can use that arrogance and cockiness in a really powerful way. But I have to be willing to be not dulled, but more like forged yeah. in, in the container that men provide for one another in that context. So I learned I learned so much from that experience about being about being a leader and being humble and being a crazy, unpredictable, completely inspiring fucking wild man badass. Like, you know, seriously, because yeah. that, that, that lives in every man. Every man who's listening to your podcast right now has in him a beast who is, who is to some degree sedated or uh, suppressed or imprisoned or somehow not fully free. Yeah. And, and the container of a good men's circle can let that beast come out and fucking roar. Boy, it's so true. And I, I find this over and over with the men's groups that I've been a part of across the years for myself and for others, that if you put a man in that kind of environment, in that circle, I think of the typical good little boy, mama's good helper, you know, this very nice, quiet, domesticated, shy man. And all of a sudden, there will come a moment when you know Joe Blow over there says something, and and it will well up inside of you that you need to confront or you need to challenge, and then you do, and you can't even believe that you were able to say that. And then if that other guy is 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 also letting it work on him, he can hold your anger, he can handle it, and and suddenly this beautiful thing happens. You have two men who are finally standing. Yeah, it's amazing. Or it can be. <laughs> anyway, so is so is, and, you know, and yeah, it, it can be, and it can also it can also get really, it can get really worn down because our <laughs> culturally we are not in a soup that's pulling for that. No, we, <laughs> you've talked about it on many of your shows. This this notion, these 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 sort of tendencies and and everything that's that is literally what did you say in your last one? Something about. Uh, something about, I think you, I think you used the word castrating, but it wasn't, it oh, wasn't yeah. exactly that. It was just something like we're, we're actually literally attacking the masculine. Yeah. Literally saying, you know, unless you're, unless you're a cop or in your, you're, 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 you're a cop keeping the streets safe, putting right. that 40 fingers for those of you who are not watching the video, <laughs> you're, you're a cop keeping the streets safe. Cool. You can be as masculine as you want to be. If you're a military person out there, away from home base, and you're out please there, please go be masculine. <laughs> you're act, yeah. You're act, You're acting on behalf of America out there, like doing doing that thing. Awesome. You can be masculine. If you're a sports person and you and you you use that masculine, you you be masculine on the football field to make a shit ton of money for all those guys. Great. You can do that. If you're an entertainer where you're using your masculine 
to put on a fucking show and therefore you're very therefore you're harmless and completely neutered anyway absolutely like a real you know like you're actually then it's fine but but when Not it comes the rest to, of us <laughs> yeah when it comes to you know being a father and a husband and a homesteader and someone who is interested in protecting you know defining your perimeter and protecting that perimeter and and being the sovereign of your household and being the governor of your household that that shit is you know like like that little phrase right there being the governor of your household that's gonna well, what do you mean the governor yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, ask my wife how she feels about me being the governor of our household, right? Like, ask her how she feels about it and, and, and then be honest with yourself. Don't you want that too? Don't yeah. you want to be taken care of by a strong man who's willing to say, this is my piece of ground? Yeah, what's so beautiful about that is, you know, my wife and I have talked about this before, that I equally want her to be an empowered woman. You know, it's like the two of us, when we are filled with power in our own essences, when we are truly living according to our unique selves, it is so damn strong and complimentary. And it's like my wife, she is ripped. She's like, I mean, honestly, I would hate to go to the mats with her physically. Like she's, she's a badass and it's awesome. I mean, like sometimes the two of us, we're interacting together and I'm like, shit, man, this is good stuff. Like, I don't want you to be weak and simpering. Like I want you to be, if, if there's that, uh, that feminist, uh, mythological book, uh, women who run with wolves. And it's like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. I want you to be a woman who runs with wolves and I want to be a wolf. You know, right. we're both right. going to be badasses. Totally. I think we need to empower each other. You know, I think we have a culture of women who are terrified that if, if they, quote, let the masculine come to its full power, that we somehow won't, quote, let them be in their full power too. And I, I think that misses the mark. Both of those things miss the mark. Absolutely. My uh, my good friend. I have a good friend who who shared when when I was uh, when I was getting married, he came he came all the way from Boston to be a part of our wedding. Oh wow! He, he was the MC, and <coughs> he, he shared with me part of his vows, and it has stuck. It has stuck with me because what he said in his vows to his wife when he married her was that was something along the lines of "You guide mm. our." thing you you guide me you guide what we're doing here and i lead mm. wow she guides, she guides and he leads and if you if you really let that sink in like i've had i've had almost a year now to really contemplate what that means and 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 i think i'm getting it i think i'm getting it because i really understand that there's a there's a raw power that i have mm. that i'm able to like come up with an idea and boom put it into action and get moving on something and then i'm i'm able to pull people in and go yeah let's do this let's do that let's do the other thing here's here we go this is the i have that what i don't have that she provides is 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 a is a substantial reason a mm. substantial purpose right like she's very pragmatic i'm very creative and kind of all over the place right but she's very pragmatic mm. she's much better at making money than i am right 
So seriously, like she's nice. so much better at making money than I am. So it's so and 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 we complement each other because I have I have a wealth of of experience and context and desire to share. And she has the know-how of how to use that and build systems around it that that bring people in and monetize and all that kind of stuff right so we're just and we're just at the beginning of being able to tap all of that because we just got married it's been it's been 10 months and congratulations thank you and i i was never i never intended to be a husband right like that was not that was not what i what i saw for myself how did you make that jump until I saw that that's exactly because my whole life, damn it, Rainier, check this out. My whole fucking life has been all about finding myself in places and situations and with people that were never on my radar mm. because I've always had an idea in my head, some, some fantastical idea of who I am and what I'm supposed to be that has absolutely nothing to do with the reality of who I am and the mm. space that I occupy, and the time in which I live, and the raw material that is this body, and this mind, and these past experiences, right? So I am constantly discovering who I am by simply taking the next step that's in front of me. And when I got clear a year and a half ago that I was here with her, we were already creating a life together, and it was either that or call it off right now because any further along this path of sort of kind of I can leave at any time ambivalence yeah. is, is just going to suck for everybody. So fuck it. Let's go. Let's, yep. let's do this. Like let's take the dive. Yeah. You're, you are my life. And for me to withhold, it was really a withholding, right? Like in to see these sort of dysfunctional uh dynamics it was a withholding of the of the one thing that i could give her that would really have her relax into being my woman yeah like it was it was it was an act of generosity that was that was it was about me and what what i would gain from being grounded in this way and whatever but really it was the initial impetus was considering how much of a gift that would be to her how much of a gift it would be to her son how much of a gift it would be to my parents who for whom none of their six kids actually had a wedding hmm. none of their none of their six kids had had a wedding until i had a wedding jeez Right, I'm the oldest, and none of them had had a wedding that my parents could participate in until until I got married, and and that was part of that was part of it. It was like you know what, like my folks, my mom, the only thing she has ever cared about in my adult life. I try to talk to her about my career and school and whatever. She doesn't want to fucking hear it. <laughs> she wants to know, you know, like where's where's the, where's the woman who's making you happy. You know, where's yeah. that where's that part of your life you know mm. so, um, well, what you're talking about right now is um is kingship 
Yeah. Cause Kings give gifts. I mean, that's what Kings do. And so just to wrap this back around. So in some ways where we started, you started by a, a childhood defined by being grounded, <laughs> but, but, now it's a very different kind of grounding. You see this plot of soil, you see this person, you see this way of living, and something instinctively in you knows, oh, this is the time to step into that king role. And I'm going to start to give gifts yep. and receive them in yep. equal measure. Yep. So, yep. so tell me, so you, you, you meet this person, you decide to take the jump. What's the last mm, year of your life been like? Because you said at the beginning you're a new father. Yeah. Well, the last year, it's actually the last 15 months, right? Because I, I, I casually asked her, actually, it was, a, it was a morning snuggles with her and her son. Um, and I was, I, I just kind of casually said to him, I said, hey, I think I should marry your mom. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, don't say that to yeah. him. You know, shut like, up. <laughs> No, because she knows she, if I say that to him, then all of a sudden his world is now this swirl of expectation and expectation sure. on. And I was like, "No, I'm serious. Let's let's do it, right?" And uh, and so that morning was a a glorious celebration. Mm. And then and then apparently, you know, we've done the math and figured out that that night was the that was the beginning of our son. Whoa! Yeah. Nice. So it was kind of like, you know, I said, I said, okay, let's go. And the universe said, all right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> all in. <laughs> and it's been, oh man, it's been amazing. It's been so amazing because what's happening is I'm going for like, all, like the last vestiges of, of this extended adolescence that lasted to my late thirties and really crashed and burned in my early forties. Mm. The last of that shit is getting burned off. And I am now finally here on the ground here becoming a man, like for real, no, no bones about it. No more, no more questioning. I don't have any more question in my being like part of it is, Oh shit. My body is, does not heal as quickly as it used to. Yeah. <laughs> Part of it is this experience of feeling my body age and realizing, <laughs> oh shit, I got to take care of this thing if I'm going to be here for a while. Right. And I so, make it count. yeah. So, everything from eating right and working out and pushing my body beyond its limits and, and making sure that I go and do things that are really fun and challenge me. Like, I was listening to your podcast on the way to the beach this weekend. I was going out and going surfing and I, I, I knew that there was, there was pretty, pretty significant movement out there in the ocean i was like oh boy we're gonna we're gonna be taking risks right so i'm listening to your podcast about taking risks i'm like nice go to the water let the ocean beat my ass a little bit and it was so good so good good. well let me ask you a very therapisty question (laughs) how hasn't it been amazing because you spend that much of your time being a nomad when it comes to settling down, I can imagine there's some some internal shifting. Yep. Yeah. See, what's what's really interesting is that the 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 entire time that she was pregnant was pretty good. I was I there were there was some of it that I I kind of I, I got I got a little bit overwhelmed in just how needy she was. You know, oh, yeah, just yeah. how much I needed to step up in just in that context. 
right? And the baby wasn't even here yet. And I thought I was, I thought I was needing to, you know, up my game more than I was comfortable with. And then, and then the baby comes in the first, you know, I mean, within the first week, my, you know, my, my tolerance for, for middle of the night feeding, I, I, I reached my threshold. Within the first week. I'm out. First week, yeah, no, it's like, ah, what the fuck? Why? Uh, I don't want to sleep. I, I can't handle this. And and my and my nervous system, my neurology is like, you know, I come from a household of yelling. I come mm. from a household of 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 very little tolerance for emotional anything. Like my mom couldn't handle it, and my my dad was just, you know, he had. He had his ways of of making sure that you just like and like you stay in line, right? You just like don't don't very little tolerance for the wildness of childhood. Yeah, and um, and so I've had to confront that in myself. Mm -hmm. You know, like I don't want to be angry with an infant for crying. Right. Like, like as a, I look at myself and as, you know the reflection that I want to hold for myself is not of a man who loses his temper at a, at a, at an infant, right? Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's ridiculous yet, at a rational level. At but, a rational right. level, exactly. But the the but the reality is is that that is what is there. That is what that was that was the experience that I had as an infant. I couldn't. I, I they didn't know how to handle my. They didn't know how to handle me. So they me however they handled me and then i you know carbon copies right <laughs> yeah. Program conditioning so so that's been really that's been really challenging and and then the, the the teamwork piece of just having to coordinate coordinate with with my wife and and you know we both work at home like i'm so grateful we both work at home so oh, yeah so we are able to we're able to and we're challenged to <laughs> juggle her business, my business, and the baby, and then and then joint and then shared custody with her eight-year-old who is in and out, and I'm doing most of the drive. Damn, you've got a lot of juggling, <laughs> dude, dude. And I'm the primary cook, and nice. I, I do most of the dishes because my wife makes most. She's 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 like I said, she's much better at making money than I am. You sir are an evolved man right there. Yeah. Way to blaze the trail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm up to a lot of things. And and the stuff that I'm most, you know, there's I'm I'm actually really inspired by a lot of it, but this conversation in particular is super inspiring for me because I have it's been 2002, so it's been 16 years since I did the Sterling Men's Weekend and uh I've only really been involved with a circle of men again for about two years i have a i have a men's team that we've been meeting for i guess eight 15 months 15 16 months mm. and we have um we we started just as a as a men's team an online men's team just to support one another mm -hmm. and then in the beginning of the year we decided to um, we decided to create open calls. So we'd have a, we have our internal call, 
one week. And then the second week we'd have open coaching calls. So we invited people to come on and, Hey, you're dealing with a situation. Let's see if we can help you with it. Right. We're a bunch of ordinary dudes. Just want to be of service. Let's try this. Right. And so we did that for about eight months and, and uh, really enjoyed it. And we had a couple of people move through some significant things based on our assistance. Mm, so we are practicing the skills involved in discussing a topic, right? Like we're, and, and we're approaching it as a team. And my intention as the, the de facto leader of this group and, you know, moving into this direction, and I'm kind of leading the way, is I'm interested in, in creating a, a, a container in which these men and future guests, when we, when we get to that point, that that the that the what we're what we're creating is a container in which our our skill in discourse gets sharpened mm. like we're actually able to speak intelligently on things and be grounded in reality in terms of in terms of not just spouting shit because you saw it on a on a post on facebook and you know there's this headline that grabbed your attention and whatever no no, if you're going to take a position on something, take a position on it and actually do some research. Like, what is this thing that you're talking about? Where does that dynamic come from? What's the, what, what are the, what is, what's behind this phenomenon of Me Too? Like, let's not just talk about Me Too as in a reactionary, like, oh, it's fucking up our game, you know, like, no, don't, you don't get to talk about that. You could, if you're going to talk about it, what is the context that Me Too comes, comes from? You know, and why, why is it, why is it so disruptive in some ways? Why is it actually a good thing in some ways? Sure. Right. Right. You have to be able to see all Both of it. sides. Yeah. My, my interest, my interest is in, is in making these guys smarter and, and even more potent in their ability to speak and, and speak to a topic and, and just be in a, in a discussion like that. I think it's so hard culturally to sell process because people really want product. People want outcome. Um, so sell all day. I'll make, you know, I'll make you a million dollars. I'll make you a better husband. I'll make you a more productive lover, right? Like we can sell product all day, but process is something that is so much more difficult. Like that in the course of our experience, whether we reach our goals or not, something absolutely magical may very well occur in you and between us. Yep. And I think that's life. (laughs) Yeah. And what you're, what you're saying there points right to that, that it's actually, it's actually impossible to sell process because if you, you, you talk about a process and people's guys glaze over, like, like, especially if they don't have a, if they don't have a reason for if they don't have a reason for even hearing what a process is, then there's no point because you're just yeah. I just to, lost half of my listenership right there. Yeah, you're just trying to put yeah, you're just trying to put them into a program or something. <laughs> but if you're if if but I, but I think it's about it's about relationship, right? Like that's right. You were speaking a language that resonated with me. Mm. I reached out to you because I wanted to be in relationship with you. That's I right. wanted to be in this in the i wanted to be in the conversation that you were starting with your podcast i wanted to be a part of 
the movement that I saw, because I didn't, I didn't reach out to you till I kind of checked you out a little bit and then looked at who's following you and, you know, checked out the men collective and saw what he was doing. And I was like, Oh, wow, this is a whole, this is the, a space that you're carving out. You're kind of going, okay, here we go. Like, you know, let's do this. Yeah, let's do this. So I'm not sure where we're at. You know, I, I want to, um, this, I think this kind of a, might be a, a good moment because um, we're going to keep on talking. I mean, one of the coolest things when I, when I invite someone on Lost Man Standing, I don't, I don't want it just to be a one-off. Like I, I want to keep on having Sean on and, and talking about the stuff that's relevant to you as you begin to really impact lives around you, dig into the soil of, of your culture that you're in and the tribe that you're building. Um, so you, you will continue to come back on, right? I mean, is this, this again? Let's do this success. Um, but, but I, I want you, you've kind of told us a little bit about your next steps. How can we participate? And, and what do you want us to know? Like what, what, what can we, what can we expect as we go forward in relationship with you? Um, that's a really awesome question. So I'm, I'm looking at, so, the, so there's the, the, the man up, man up the collective is a, is a project that's already underway. Um, so if you, if you want to tap into that conversation, uh, in fact, if you want to tap into that conversation, you can send me an email at man up on zoom at gmail.com and I will put you on the mailing list and you can, you know, that's where I do the announcements for other than Facebook because uh, Facebook is where lots of eyeballs are and lots of people are. So it's a platform that I use for now for that, that is, you know, we're getting that up and running. So you can totally tune into that. Man Up the Collective is the, is the Facebook page. But then I'm also launching my own podcast. It's, I'm not even calling it a podcast because I'm not interested in putting it up everywhere. It's not for... It's not for mass consumption. I'm interested in putting out. I'm interested in putting out a monthly or so missive that is that's that's directly the man on the ground. I'm interested mm -hmm. in in having conversations with and for men like yourself who are leading, who are breaking ground, who are challenging themselves to rise up out of the out of the primordial gunk and say, I am here. I'm a man. I am building something. I'm creating something. And I want to be among others who are also generating that King. Like you said, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a, I'm calling it a subterranean podcast for the King or something like that. I don't know. I love that. I just made that up. <laughs> All the best shit gets made up on the spot. <laughs> yeah. So, but it is, it, I'm calling it man on the ground. And uh, I'm not, like I said, I'm not putting it on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or iTunes or anything like that. The only way that I will distribute it is through an email list that'll be just specifically for this purpose. And you can get on that list if you want to receive the first one, which will come out. I'm not making any promises. Sometime in the next month to, or two. Cool. I've, I've got a baby. I'm, I'm like, I'm trying, to, <laughs> I'm trying to get my feet on the ground and I'm really getting close, but I don't have any sort of a launch deadline and I'm not even going to play that game. So, but if you want to be in the, if you want to be in that conversation and hear 
from the man on the ground once a month or so, um, then you can email me at manontheground at protonmail.com. Cool. And we'll put that link up as well. Yeah, I think it sounds really exciting, man. I, I want to thank you a lot for coming on the show and on also showing your support whenever you do. And I think it takes a lot of courage to talk about, um, you know, childhood and growing up and the places, both the successes and the failures that we've had in life. And I think that you tackle those with vulnerability and, uh, and as I said, courage. Um, and I hope that men listening to this really get out um, the points of being being radically open to what life has for you and then also being open not just to not just to meandering around in life because that's one kind of openness but also being open to become an embodied self who takes a stand in the world and i love that that you've you've done both and that's that's living with a hand in both pockets there so i think that's so good man Awesome. Well, thank you, Rainier. I've, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. I'm, you know, it's really an honor. Like I was, I was kind of giddy fangirling today, fanboying today. <laughs> Holy shit. I, I get to, you know, I get to have a conversation with Rainier. Lost my That's awesome, man. Well, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a conversation again and until, uh, until next time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.